welcome in to the Roarcast with Kyle Matrician, Mike Kowalski, and myself, Megan Rojas. Today, we're going to be interviewing head coach Al Bagnoli of Columbia Football, and we are very excited. Hey, guys. How are we doing? What's up? Good. Good. Big week. Football takeover. Football takeover. Mike, who else are we interviewing after Al? Uh, we'll have Ben Mathismeyer. Mark Quavius Moore and Josh Smythe McCauley. So it's a two part, well, technically a three part episode. So a little ambitious, a little ambitious. I like it, but it's football week and uh, homecoming would have been homecoming week at Columbia. So we got to blow things out. It's been homecoming for seven months, really. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible dad joke. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true, though. Come for the interviews, stay for the dad jokes. <laughs> yeah, really That's what the broadcast is all about. Not even a dad. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Ro, we missed you last week. Bringing the energy today. I'm, I was bummed. We had, I had to do some Columbia basketball things, but I listened like everyone else who's listening to this should check out the volleyball episode last week. It was very good. I enjoyed it. Did you actually listen? Yeah, I just popped in checked it out popped it in like a disc or something what was your favorite part the end the end yeah what did we talk about at the end i forgot it's over because you were done listening to it really did here's the thing i turned it on for view count i can't say i listened to it like loudly enough that i could comprehend what was going on but it was good all right ro since we missed you last week and obviously, we know the reasons why, as you just alluded to. But, you know, <laughs> what's going on in your life, aside from Columbia basketball? Aside from Columbia basketball, wow. I am currently back in the Upper West Side. I know each time I'm either here or in Philly. But I have recently started the show. Ready? I really hope you guys have started it. Ted Lasso? Uh, that's next on my queue. Oh, you guys are gonna love it! I have, I haven't even started. I've heard great I, things. I think I'm gonna watch Cobra Kai at this point. I, I don't know. Mike Ted Lasso. About Cobra Kai. I just finished Cobra Kai last week, but Ted Lasso's next. What is Ted Mike, Lasso? Mike, so up your alley. You're gonna like think it's so. You good. ever? Do you, don't you remember the commercials a few years ago with uh, the guy from SNL, Jason Sudeikis? He played an American football coach coaching soccer. I think there was commercials when NBC got the rights to EPL. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, commercials. that's where it started, and then they made it. And they made a TV Apple. show on Apple TV. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, you know, I have seen something for that. That's what I've seen. It's a feel-good. It's a feel-good TV show with a team. So you're getting, like, your team team bit that we're all missing right now, and nice. it's really good. And if you like soccer or football, it's a good, it's a good watch. Football. Football. That was a category on one of the Jeopardies that Mike ran. The host, Did. the celebrity host of Columbia Takeover Trivia. I'm just everywhere. I'm building the you brand. Are. You are. <laughs> we're going to head to a break. And when we come back, we're going to have Columbia head football coach Al Bagnoli join us on the podcast. During my time at Columbia, the incredible support from the university, alumni, and parents has helped us make great strides in the resources we've been able to provide our student athletes in and out of competition. We do not want to lose that momentum during this unprecedented year. With that in mind, I'm excited to announce the launch of the One Roar campaign for athletics. For this year only, the One Roar Fund will replace all sports-specific fundraising. By bringing our alumni and parent communities together, we can truly do something exceptional for past, present, and future Columbia Lions. In these times where reduced revenues and increased fiscal pressure are the new normal, the money raised during this campaign will support each of our 700 plus student athletes from all 31 sport programs, as well as the administrative units that support our teams. Your past investments in our athletic programs have been critical to our success, and I hope we can rely upon you to help our entire department through these challenging times. Be safe and go Lions. For more information and to make a gift, please visit GoColumbiaLions.com backslash one roar. We all know what comes with being a fan, the ups, the downs, and everything in between. Share a Coke with a friend. Coca-Cola, the official beverage of the Columbia Lions. At Athletic Brewing Company, we've built America's first craft non-alcoholic brewery. We've created a lineup of award-winning non-alcoholic beers. 
Our beers are made with organic grains and start at only 50 calories. Athletic beers are perfect for anyone who loves being healthy and active, but also loves to enjoy great tasting beer with friends. To give us a try, go to athleticbrewingcompany.com and use code ATHLETIC20 for 20% off your first order. All right, we are back with head football coach Al Bagnoli. Coach, thanks so much for taking some time today to join us. Uh, my pleasure. Excited to be here. Nice. So uh, how are things? Like, how, what's, what's this life in the virtual world been like for you? And I believe we're still doing this. Yeah, now again, I don't think any of us would have thought that this thing would start in March and be ongoing all the way into October. So it's lasted a lot longer than most of us had anticipated. And I think we're all starting to get fatigued, you know, so it's just a lack of, you know, seeing people having interpersonal relationship with them. Uh, just having contact with people, I, I think, has been really challenging. So, you know, we use that word unprecedented at times, and this most certainly has been and, uh, you know, I think like everybody else, we're trying to make the best of it. We're trying to make sure that when this thing finally does get behind us, we will be in the best position possible to move the program forward. So uh, it's been interesting, to say the least. How, uh, how much tech stuff do you feel like you've, you've learned over the last few months, especially with the uh, problem, you know? You, you were pretty quick at fixing that, fixing your computer issue with getting on this podcast just now. Yeah, again, I think it forces you to uh, adapt and, and you know your whole life. And at least as, as, as recent as last week when we were finally allowed back in the office. But prior to then, it, it really had been predicated upon technology. You know, so it's been Zoom calls. It's been all virtual meetings. It's, it's been all that stuff. So you, you're forced to adapt. And I think, you know, one of the byproducts is I think we've had, you know, certainly an uptick in our usage of technology and, you know, the potential benefits of technology. And uh, honestly, I can kind of see us as we get into some off season and a more traditional sense, you know, be able to do a little bit of the work from home as opposed to being in the office, you know, 24 seven. So it has had a little bit of benefit to this. Have you changed your home setup at all in terms of? Um, yeah, yeah. And, work? Like, I, I want to know, like, do you have like a, like a film studio at home now to watch film from? I, I, I actually do. Um, I actually have uh, taken our basement, which is somewhat finished, and made it into an office for me. So that way I'm out of harm's way on, on, on the main floors of the house. And it's really been very comfortable to come down here and have a station where you can watch film or interact with your coaches or call recruits or jump on a Zoom call or whatever you're going to do. So like most people, you know, we've had a makeshift office and uh, I've spent the majority of my time, you know, here in Mount Laurel and uh you know down in the basement and just kind of doing what we do how have you been using technology like we talked about to uh keep the team together i can't imagine what a big football zoom chat is like is that happening got, often? Got, yeah. <laughs> yeah i think you gotta flip a lot of screens to see everybody <laughs> that's the first thing just you know i think i think we were like nine nine flips before I finally saw everybody who was on the last one. We had one <laughs> last week, uh, you know, so that was interesting. Uh, but we've taken a very uh, conscientious effort to have a very consistent outreach with our kids. And so most of it has been positionally driven. So a minimum of, of twice a week, our positional coaches have had Zooms with our kids just to kind of review uh, anything new that we're trying to do schematically to check in with the kids, make sure they're okay to provide information of any updated dates and events and times. Uh, we've complemented that with um, offensive and defensive side of the ball zooms when we want to try to do something that's specific to just one side or the other. And then we've also had team zooms, you know, when we're trying to get a flavor for, you know, some big picture things of what we want to do as a program. 
So it's really been an ongoing effort by a lot of people. And in addition to hearing from coaches, uh, they've also consistently have heard from our strength coaches, you know, because their workout regimen right now is all done virtually. So our ability to really watch them from a safety perspective, you know, is something that our strength coaches have done a really good job with. But, but basically we want to make sure during these crazy times that they know that we're here for them. They know we're thinking about them. And if they have any issues, concerns that we can potentially be of any help with, you know, they'll have access to us directly at least, you know, two or three times per week. How strange has it been watching other collegiate leagues, you know, in the SEC and everything be playing on Saturdays and for the first time in a very long time, you're not, you're not part of that. So how strange is it? Do you have the itch? What's it been like for you? Oh, I think we all, you know, are, are certainly missing, you know, the, the competition factor, the game scenario, certainly missing the time with our student athletes and all the people associated with the program. You know, what I find amazing, and, and it's all over the place on a national scale. So, you know, when you call recruits up in certain parts of the country, they're playing and it's week six. You know, you, you call other parts of the country and it could be week two. You call other parts of the country and they're shut down. You call other parts of the country and they're shut down, but are going to start practice December 1st with the anticipation of the spring. And then, you know, I, I was, I forgot who I was talking to, but I, I was driving home from somewhere and I went by a youth park and this is back, uh, you know, probably in August. And here I am watching a hundred, you know, eight to 12 year olds in full equipment running around. <laughs> and at that time, you know, colleges, the Big Ten was still shut down. Uh, you know, the, the Pac-12 was still shut down. We were shut down. And I just thought, you know, boy, that is really strange when the eight to 12 year olds in New Jersey are playing <laughs> and the rest of us are watching. I thought that was really weird. How, how does all of that, like you talked about the difference in the schedules affect your recruiting a little bit because you're trying to evaluate players for the upcoming yeah. class. It's, yeah. it's, it's a definite timeline for Ivy league and everything too. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. We don't have the benefit of three or four things, which, you know, kind of reassured you that you were doing the right thing recruiting wise. And so, you know, we never had an opportunity uh, to have kids up unofficially. So it, it could have been, on uh, selected junior days. It could have been uh, during the summer one day evaluation camps. It could have been an invite for spring football uh, practice where they can come in and sit down and watch. Uh, it could have been kids coming up to watch a contest uh, during September and October. So we really have missed all of those things which further help our evaluation process. So we really have had to do everything uh, based upon junior film and to the extent the kid is playing his senior year, we can also use limited amount of that. Uh, so it's made it more challenging. And then obviously when you're taking a campus tour, you're taking a facilities tour, you're doing a home visit, everything is done, you know, via Zoom and via virtual. So for the first time in history, kids are forced to make, you know, decisions and, and big decisions and really do not have the benefit of sitting down face to face, okay, with the people that potentially they're gonna be part of for the next four years. So it's, it's been a really weird dynamic and understand that's the college landscape. So everybody has the same issues. We're gonna be in this NCA dead period to the very least until January 1 of 2021. So it's not going away. And obviously the kids are gonna to have to make decisions well before then into what school they're going to, but it's been trying for them. And certainly it's been trying for coaches to try to get as thorough an approach as we ideally would want during this process. How has the process been? I know you talked a little bit about adapting with technology earlier. Mm -hmm. Virtually recruiting, is that something you feel like your staff has nailed? Are we doing 
visits? Is it something that you're at least oh, yeah, no, we, the hang we, of? We probably have done 50, you know, home. And this is just with me. They've done other things, but we probably have done 50 home visits virtually. And when we yeah. do a home visit, it's, it's obviously with me, but it's also with the side of the ball the kid plays on. And mm -hmm. it's also with our director of, of, of player personnel, uh, Mike DeFazio. So it's, it's with a whole group of Columbia people. And so that's been very time consuming because it's not just one person doing it. In addition, uh, you know, the positional coach and the recruiting coach have also provided student athletes with a campus tour virtually, a facilities tour virtually. We've had all kinds of seminars, um, player panels where parents can get on and ask questions and we can talk about the recruiting process and the differences between Ivy League recruiting and the rest of the free world recruiting, you know, because that's much different. And so we've tried to also have tremendous amount of informational stuff available to them on these Zoom calls as well. So. Our, our coaches have, have done a remarkable job in their outreach. And then at the end, when we think, you know, the kids will go and we want to make sure that he knows he has, okay, our support and admissions, then that's when I jump on and, and we try to close it. So we've all been very busy doing a lot of different things, uh, but it's all been virtual in nature. Before you came on, you know, obviously you're still in uh, meetings with the league, with the coaches things mm -hmm. of that nature. So, you know, obviously saying what you can say, because obviously some things that happen in meetings are confidential, but what's the general feeling of you think of the football coaches as to like where the Ivy League is right now? Like, I know there's still the possibility of spring football, mm -hmm. uh, like kind of like where's everybody yeah. at with them? Yeah, and I know we were kidding before we got on, and you know, we were using the word fluid, <laughs> which seems <laughs> no, to be one of those buzzwords yeah. <laughs> along with unprecedented. But right now, the, the plans are fluid. So the way it's being presented to us, and I think it makes sense, is that uh, we're working on you know, two to four different models that we potentially okay, could use during the spring. And they range anywhere from a seven-game Ivy-only schedule to a reduced schedule to having an expanded spring ball with a scrimmage or two in it, or to just having just spring ball with no outside competition at all. So we've talked about all four of those scenarios, and a lot of it's gonna be predicated upon what the medical people are saying uh, in very late November, when the presidents are gonna make the decision concerning spring sports and what the plans are for them. So right now we couldn't move forward and we're not gonna be able to move forward until we can get more people on campus safely. You know, I think we, we, we feel we need a minimum of three of the four classes on campus. So we're scheduled right now tentatively to have the juniors and seniors on board, you know, come spring semester. And if we could potentially get another class with them, preferably the sophomores, uh, then I think you have a viable opportunity to do something that's meaningful. But it's all gonna be predicated upon what's going on in the medical world. What's the situation? Do we have you know, a handle on testing and vaccines and everything else? So it's, it's certainly far from being, deter from being decided, but we certainly have two or three different blueprints and models we're looking at and trying to figure out. What are the pros and cons to you of possibly playing in the spring? Well, I mean, you know, obviously as a competitor, you, you always want to play. You would like to give your seniors, uh, you know, some are planning to graduate and I'm sure some, you know, have tentative plans to try to come back and recapture this year, but you certainly want to do right by them. So any type of outside competition would be better than having zero competition. You know, so I think that would be the upside. I think the scare is, you know, we have not done football since November of uh, 
you know, last year of 2019. And so we're going to have to be able to get back pretty early and have to get kids out of phase zero, which we're currently in, and into phase one and two pretty quickly. So then we can actually practice football so then you can compete safely. And so do it where the season is long enough to get some benefit from it. It's safe enough because you've had long enough to prepare. And at the same time, you're going to have enough recovery time on the back end that when you do go to the 2021 season, and hopefully that's going to be somewhat normal, then you know that you know, when August rolls around, your kids are also going to be recovered from any type of spring schedule that was put together. So you have things on the front end, you have things during the actual competition season, and then you have things after that you all have to consider, okay, as you make a decision moving forward. I was going to say, and with the amount of uh, injuries that you're used to dealing with, especially over the last couple of years, you wouldn't want to, uh, you wouldn't want to have an injury that happens in the spring that then puts a kid out for two seasons. Well, again, I, I think that's what that, you know, that's what you, you're gambling, you know, yeah. and again, I think the kids sense it as well. And, you know, the season has got to be meaningful enough. You have to balance all these things. And again, each school's in a different phase and, and that concerns people because some schools are already in phase two, which means they're doing football related things. You know, ourselves and two other schools are in phase zero, which means you know, we're not doing anything. And then how quickly can we come back, you know, and catch up and be safe doing it. So uh, it's certainly a juggling act. There's certainly a lot of things to consider. And, you know, I think it's, again, it's going to revolve around the medical situation and our ability to get kids back on campus early and with enough classes in place to make it safe. In preparation for the unknown and us still being in phase zero, like you said, is there, how has the strength and conditioning been going virtually with the team, getting them ready for what we don't know is coming up? Is it just football related movement? Are we? No, they, they all have strength? a program, you know, but again, uh, as, as you kind of went through this pandemic, uh, a lot of kids were shut out of gyms. Yeah. So. It isn't until somewhat recent, depending on what state you're in, that they've had access to workout facilities. So when this whole thing started, and I'll give our strength coaches a tremendous amount of credit because they had literally had to put together three different programs to send to our kids. So the first program was a normal program because those kids had access. They might've had a gym, you know, in their garage or in their basement, or they could lift with a buddy who had all the equipment, you know, had a bench, had a squat rack, had whatever. Then they had to put together something that was just partial in nature that they might've had a bench, but they didn't have a squat rack. You know, they might've had dumbbells, but they didn't have a lap machine. And so they had to put that together. And then there was a whole bunch of kids that didn't have access to anything. Their schools were shut down. So those weight rooms were off limits. The commercial gyms were shut down. Those were off limits. They did not have access internally at their home. So now they had to do things that were very creative. So, you know, they, they've had to improvise with, you know, pushing cars and lifting five gallon water jugs and, and doing some of that unconventional things, you know, again, because kids were all over the place with their ability to access things. Right now, it's, it's been a little bit more stabilized. Gyms have reopened, so at the very least, within the last month or two, you know, the high majority of the kids have a place to go, and our program is starting to ramp up accordingly. And so we've uh, invested a lot with our strength coaches and technology there with a system called PUSH, and PUSH allows you to really monitor your kids virtually as well as in person and really record all the activity they're doing in real time and really give your strength coaches a very accurate appraisal of where each kid is. So, you know, that's been a really good investment for us as well. I want to talk too about potentially, you know, moving into the spring or playing next season, how that changes your, your, 
personnel dynamic too, because you had expected a couple guys coming back, guys like you know Josh Wainwright or and a Joe Scout, yeah. and that, that are going to yeah. graduate in, at the end of the semester. So, um, how do you deal with that on the fly, with the potential of of playing in the spring, and then you know obviously you might have more time if you, if you do just wind up playing in the fall. Yeah, I mean, I you know all three of the kids, uh, Isaac Workman was the, was the third one, so yeah. we had three fifth year kids. And all three of them uh, called and we had, you know, honest dialect with them and their parents. And, you know, uh, right now, and, and the league would, would, I think, support this. You know, I think it's a long shot to have a spring sport because you have issues with, you know, not only the medical side of things, the safety side of things with preparation, but the reality is some schools, you know, have, 41 sports, I think Harvard has. Other schools have high 30s, Yale, Princeton, okay? And I think we may have the least at 31, but I think it's really difficult to say that you can safely operate 31 sports all within a very condensed one semester time frame, okay, given what you need access to in terms of meeting rooms, what you have to do in the training rooms, how your trainers get affected and what kind of coverage you can have, medically speaking, your equipment guys, how they get affected, uh, how you delegate your strength coaches and hours in the weight room and the facilities. And so I think we're all aware we're fighting an uphill battle to actually have a spring. So I was trying to give them honest advice because, you know, obviously they've meant so much of this program that the least we can do is, is provide as much accurate information as we have, and then just allow them to make the decision that's best for themselves and the family. So uh, we obviously will miss all three. They've all been impact players for us. And you know this would have been the first time in my tenure that we've had more than one kid come back for a fifth year. And so when you lose your projected starting offensive tackles, and you're, you know, all league caliber wide receiver, uh, when you could have had all three back, obviously it's disappointing, but that's the realities we're all in. And the league does not really grant six year opportunities and nor do we institutionally. So I certainly understand the dynamics and I'm disappointed, but you know, the, really the reality is we've lost three pretty talented kids that we're going to have to make up for through all this what have you learned about this group of, of players that you have you know i think i've always thought that they've been resilient you know even before this you know they've had to overcome a lot of things with medical things and you know variety of issues and this has done nothing to you know change that stance our kids have been really resilient uh, they've done everything that we've asked them to do uh, they have not, at least to me, outwardly complained about the plight they're in and the scenario they're in and how unjust it is if you're a senior and this potentially is your last hurrah and, and these are the cards that you've been dealt. They've all handled it with tremendous maturity, tremendous perspective, and I think they've rallied around each other, which has been really good to see. So, you know, we've not only had positional groups, but our upper class kids have done a really good job of gathering kids around virtually. So Ben Mathesmeyer has met with all the safeties, okay, for example, without the coaches, just again, to encourage kids to answer any questions they have, to be a sounding board, you know, to be a cheerleader, uh, just to kind of make sure that everybody's in a good place. And I think everybody positionally, upper class wise, and I'm talking about predominantly juniors and seniors, have done the same thing at their position. And so I've been really proud of what the kids have done and how they rallied around themselves and how they made the best of a very difficult and unpredictable situation. Pandemic aside, um, each season, is there a certain theme that you go with team wise? Is there like a culture, like a, I'm trying to think of what theme what word I'm thinking of other than theme, but is there some sort of slogan or something that you kind of like rally behind each year? Well, I think every program has a mantra, you know, mm -hmm. and then 
ours is is really um you know effort accountability and team so it's eat you know derived from lions hunt and eat you know so those are two good things to do and so oh, you really got to spend every year you know just explaining what does effort actually mean you know what are we looking for what is accountability what does that actually mean and then the context of team and then you know there's always some subset after that you know that you want to look into as well so you know we're always pushing the same things because that's the fabric of the program you know we're not going to be successful if we don't have buy-in to those three things and so it's it's very uh, known to our kids it's plastered all over the place okay mm -hmm. so they're constantly reminded of it uh, it's something that i think they've embraced and i think when all of a sudden adversity hits hopefully they'll go back to some of those principles okay and then on top of that we also have uh you know on the defensive side of the ball and it, it's kind of morphed its way into the offense you know our charlie mike which is a military slogan uh andre murphy is our secondary coach was part of the infantry and serving in afghanistan on a couple of different tours so he kind of brought that and that's really is the complete demission so once we run into adversity you know the kids are trained and, and hopefully brainwashed that charlie mike also kicks in and now let's let's overcome this and let's finish whatever mission that we're trying to accomplish so i think everybody has a mantra you know everybody has uh, buzzwords that they use and acronyms that fit whatever philosophical beliefs and you know we're no different so but we spend a lot of time because we think those are the cornerstones to our program i really like eat did you come up with that <laughs> well good man i'm glad you like it see? huge fan <laughs> yeah, that sounds good right and it's easy it's and short and sweet you can exactly give coach stovall he's the one who who came up with it so i want to make sure okay. I steal, you know, <laughs> his copyright. Has, uh, <laughs> did you build edge off of eat there was that like <laughs> that's where i was going i'm sorry i'm glad we're on the same page yeah. at least <laughs> can we be honest about this <laughs> i actually i don't know i think coach griffith came up with that on her own she might have been yeah. greatly inspired by eat but well we meet all the time with coach Griff. she's awesome yeah so, so we told her what ours was so she probably you know she probably built off of it, which is awesome you know yeah i'm a huge fan of her so Anything we yeah. can do, I, I figure that's a compliment if she's stealing our stuff. If that is the case, <laughs> you know, then we're doing something right. Eating edge, yeah. Hmm? Eats great. Yeah. Who right. did you say come up with it? Coach Stovall's our linebacker coach. I'm going to shoot him an yeah. email. Yeah, you should. You should. <laughs> He'll be all pumped up to hear from you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But again, I think we all need, you know, those things to kind of go back to and, and, define what the program's all about yeah yeah so so kids are crystal clear on what their expectations are i think that that becomes huge all right coach thanks for so much for taking some time today we really appreciate it uh that was coach al bagnoli once again we'll be joined by marquavius moore ben mathis meyer and josh smythe mccauley when we come back so stick around <laughs> JAG-1 Physical Therapy is a proud partner of the Columbia Lions. With state-of-the-art rehabilitation equipment and facilities, allow us to develop a specific plan catered to each patient. The JAG-1 team proudly serves the tri-state area with facilities throughout Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, Westchester, Long Island, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. We're here for you. Get back the life you love. Visit www.jag1pt.com. That's J A G O N E P T.com for more information. New York Presbyterian Hospital is one of the nation's most comprehensive, integrated academic health care delivery systems dedicated to providing the highest quality, most compassionate care and service to patients in the New York metropolitan area, nationally and throughout the globe. New York Presbyterian is consistently recognized as a leader in medical education, groundbreaking research, and innovative patient-centered clinical care. Ranked number one in the New York metropolitan area by U.S. News and World Report and repeatedly named to the honor roll of America's best hospitals, New York Presbyterian has 10 locations in the metropolitan area. For more information, visit nyp.org today.
welcome back. I hope you, I hope everybody enjoyed our segment with head coach Al Bagnoli. But now it's time to talk to three of the players. We've got Marquavius Moore joining us from Baltimore, and we've got Joshua Smythe McCauley and Ben Mathismeyer both joining us from Texas. So, guys, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us today. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks sure. for having us. No problem. No problem. Uh, looking, we've been looking forward to this. Josh, I know you, you helped us out so much. I mean, we feel like we've seen so much of you lately. I know. I was, <laughs> I was surprised, honestly. I was like, wow, another uh, Columbia Athletics event that I need <laughs> to do. This is going to be a lot of fun. I feel like I'm, I'm used to you guys already. It's like we know you, you know. Yeah. And it's funny. I didn't know you guys before this either. So, <laughs> so I know you personally really well. A little, really little right? behind-the-scenes glimpse into the world here. <laughs> Um, but Mark, I mean, Mark Quavius, I don't want to leave you short. You helped us out tremendously with the uh, social justice video that we did about a month ago, I want to say. Uh, you, I, want to do, I do want to talk about that a little bit, and I think we're going to come back to that, the, uh, the poem that you wrote uh, for social justice. Uh, really eloquent. Uh, really, you know, I, I watched the whole thing, obviously, and um, really well said. So I just wanted to put that out there, and we might come back to that. And then Ben Mathis-Meyer, the only thing I know about you, man, and I'm sorry to say this, is that interception against Harvard last fall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not the first from Columbia that said that. So. Yeah, I mean, I was at the game because, uh, you know, we're all, we work in the press box during the game, uh, clipping up videos and stuff. And then uh, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to say this and Mike's going to laugh at me, but um, we, when we were trying to figure out what to do, you know, after that game, I was like, I watch a lot of Premier League soccer, and I, I used to see, like, these videos they would do of, like, every angle of a goal, so I'm like, oh, what if we did every angle of his interception and, like, stuff like that, so. Yeah, that, that, video, that. Yeah, that video was sweet. Awesome. That video was sweet, definitely. <laughs> but I guess I'm the new guy on the, on the block um, today, so. <laughs> but it's not, it's not Ben's first time on a podcast. You did oh, yeah. corner last year. I did. I don't remember if that was before or after the Harvard game, though. No, that was that was before. That was after Princeton week. I did it with uh, Wainwright and uh, That's right. Ronald. Yep. Full week of <laughs> football content throughout, throughout the digital world. Um, so I just wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about what you've been up to. Uh, Mark Wavis, I know you're originally from Tennessee, but what brought you to Baltimore for the semester? Um the extreme need to get out of my mom's house <laughs> and, and then I needed to get off of my brother's couch and then I needed to get out of my grandma's house. So there was a lot of going from family members like places and I, I just needed to um, on my own just kind of step out for a moment and um, just be in this space and it turned out that a few of my friends were in the same situation as I was, and we found a very affordable place to live. Um, so yeah, it's financially um, a good decision. It was a good decision for my mental health, a good decision for my family, I think. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I'm excited. What, what, what drew you to Baltimore though? Was it just close enough to home where you could kind of be within striking distance or did you, you, know, you used to mention you had some friends that were kind of in the area too? Yeah, so it's not close to. I'm from Memphis, right? Originally, I don't know. Um, I don't know not, my geography apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's closer yeah, than New York City, then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like a three-hour drive from New York. Baltimore is, but yeah. um, and like for for just a scale, if I were to drive to New York from Memphis, it would be like 15, 18 hours. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's that. The reason why we came to Baltimore is because one of my friends, um, this is actually his childhood house. And so his dad owned the house and had paid the mortgage out, right? And so we just need to pay like the property taxes and like the utilities, perfect. which is perfect. Yeah. Josh and Ben, uh, you guys decided to stay in Texas. What went into those decisions? I, I just find it interesting. Everybody does has a little bit different situation and everything uh, doing this virtual schooling in these unprecedented times. Ooh, yeah, yeah I, I know me and Josh are originally from, obviously, Josh, Austin, and me, Houston. So it kind of was, I guess, from my, from my outlook on it, it was kind of just once everything kind of went its ways, I kind of knew I was going back to Texas. And so I have a pretty, you know, my, my family was welcoming and, and whatnot. So I've been here since 
since March, and I want to say Josh has been the same. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's different down here though. Like football is full on go. It's kind of it's kind of <laughs> crazy. Like I know Josh's high school Bowie and mine were there. I mean, it's it's full go. So it's kind of thick of their season. Yeah, it's it's kind of different. Football is kind of when they say it's a religion. Um, yeah, it may be true after all this because <laughs> it's still going on. But uh, yeah, I actually. Go ahead. No, I drove by. I was like, I was downtown a couple of days ago, and we have a stadium downtown. And I drove by, and my high school was playing, and I was just like, okay. So you know, these guys are playing football right now, and I'm in Austin. It's funny because I've I've seen some some of my friends from high school um since I've been here since March and they're like oh what are you doing back you're like you're not playing football right now you like you quit and I was like no man like we're just not doing it right now so um but yeah I mean Texas has been nice it's it's still really hot I know it's getting cold up there in New York and I don't know about Baltimore but it is it's like it's it's 80s right now 80s and sunny so it's been really nice going outside and getting some air do you feel like you guys are finally in some semblance of a routine now that this is month like six of being back or wherever you are? Yeah, definitely for me, just because I feel like I've got used to this setting now for seven months almost. And I'm back and back being back in the routine at school kind of helps me a little bit too. Um, just like knowing Monday through Thursday, you have that set classes. So um, yeah, I definitely feel like I'm in a routine. Um, so. That's my, that's my perspective. I would say I recently got into a routine. I just recently got a dog. So I'm that dog dad that has my dog on a super like rigid schedule. Um, and so I've had to get on a routine for different reasons. Uh, and school has kind of went against that and it's been kind of harder, but you know, it is what it is. We, we, we're crossing that bridge now because school just started. But, um, yeah, you got it, Josh. Corey, I feel like you need to expand, bro. You just yeah. mentioned your dog and oh, you didn't yeah. want to say yeah. Good okay, follow-up, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> we want okay. to know more. <laughs> um, okay, so his name is Cash. Uh, he's sleeping right now, so I shouldn't say his name too loud because I don't want to wake him up. <laughs> Um, he's 14 weeks, and I know that sounds weird because it sounds like, you know how, like, when people have, like, kids, and they're like, oh, they're, like, yes. 32 weeks, and it's like, yeah. dude, just call them, like, two or whatever, <laughs> like, just it's kind of like that, but, like, but, like, I, when I got him, they said, oh, he's, like, 10 weeks, and I know I've had him for, like, four weeks now, so I just keep yeah. adding on. I know eventually I'll have to, you know, start calling him, like, whatever month he is, but, um, he's, he's super, he's super cool, you know, when he doesn't have to go to the restroom. <laughs> um, and when he's not hungry, but he's he's a pretty smart dog, um, which is why when he does things he knows you're not supposed to. I'm like, bro, really? Like, come on now. But he's super. It's it, it's super worth it because he's he's adorable and he 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 loves me unconditionally, <laughs> and I didn't have to do much for it. So what kind of dog? A cocker spaniel. Nice. He's a, he's a red cocker. Yeah. On the football team, we always talk about accountability and it's easy to kind of hold your teammates accountable when you have certain steps to take. Like we have workouts we need to do. So how do we keep our teammates accountable? Yo, are you doing your workouts? Are you like, how hard are you going? Am I pushing you? Like that's something that I think is either intuitive because I've been doing it so long or the steps are just there. But being a first time dog dad, it's like so crazy because I'm like having to figure out all of these steps. I'm having to really learn him and it's crazy because he can't talk so before the podcast started we talked about you know we wanted to go somewhere colorful and this is the great content and uh i think this is the whole theme of this podcast right now is quay's going what you're saying that anyone who needs to get on a schedule is get a dog not like a dog get a dog yes yeah because because here's the thing here's the thing once you start to schedule, you have to stay on it because the dog is going to be on it. So right. it's not the fact that I want to wake up every morning at six o'clock. I have to because he will wake me up. So it definitely reinforces uh, a schedule, which in this time, I think is really important because for me, and then I'm going to finally let you have it, Josh, I, I promise. But for <laughs> me, it was really hard getting into a routine, especially when yeah. this whole period of summer 
and quarantine just blended into one. It was, it, I kind of got lost in the day to day. So mm-hmm. this is very, this has been very uh, grounding for me. Well, Josh has been in the host role for us, so he's just turning the tables. He's just, in the- <laughs> he's become part of the podcast. I what am. Is- <laughs> and you have your own podcast. I was about to say, you know, you are really the man right now. I'm, I'm really taking notes because not only <laughs> have you created your own platform, you've been, you know, on other people's platforms, learning from them and kind of flipping the tables. I don't like that you flipped it on me, but <laughs> you know, I'll give you your props. I'll give you your props. So Josh, we're gonna have to definitely go there about josh's podcast so yeah. i'll let josh go first and then expand on his podcast yeah thanks for uh doing that because i definitely couldn't you know couldn't come back from that whole dog dad thing you know i had nothing much to say but the podcast is something interesting so i can talk about that um but i started the podcast this summer and it's called the boredom project and that was because i was very bored i was like ridiculously <laughs> bored this summer just because you know uh, I had two shoulder surgeries, so I was going through rehab still. So I wasn't able to work out and I wasn't able to do like, you know, much activity with friends or anything like that. And so I was just at home watching TV or, you know, at least like trying to learn stuff. And so I think one day it was like a Sunday night. I texted my friend and I was like, hey, man, I'm going to start a podcast tomorrow. Do you want to be on the show? And he was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and so like I spent the Sunday night writing some sort of like script. Or just like a run of show and then did oh, the that's podcast. Better than us. That's way better than us. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just wing it. I was like, initially initially I was like, yeah, let me just wing this and see what happens. And I was like, nah, I'll, I'll try to put some work in and see if it makes it better or anything like that. Uh, and so I did the podcast Monday with my friend and it was a lot of fun. I had a good conversation and it was a good way for me to like not be bored. Uh, hence the name and after that I started like really getting into it and so I think I did 15 episodes and I haven't done it since September or August I haven't recorded since then because of class but I'm actually going to start again um, in like two weeks so stay tuned for that but uh, I just like really got into it and started you know listening to some other people who have podcasts um, and just try to like yeah exactly like this one try to emulate what you guys do um and just learn and it was something that you know gave me something to do so whether it was like drafting run of shows or actually reaching out to people and uh and recording the episodes it was a lot of fun what are some of your favorite podcasts that like inspired you um one of my favorite podcasts right now is actually i think it's called old man and the three and that's with jj reddick from the nba um that's just that's one that's really insightful um, to like the NBA world, just because you see a lot of like media members um, like ESPN and Fox that, you know, interview these guys, but they have to be a little bit um, careful about what they say. But on JJ Reddick's podcast, like he's a player, he interviews other players and coaches and it's, it's kind of just, um, it's open and it, it's like really interesting to see what they actually have to say about teammates and coaches and staff and stuff like that in the yeah. world. Um, I think another one, Michelle Obama's podcast is pretty cool. I enjoy that one. That one's pretty new. Uh, Joe Rogan is just like the people he interviews. I love that. It's, it's super yeah. funny. It, yeah. I feel like a lot of people that we talk to about what podcasts they listen to, a lot of people have said Joe Rogan. That's yeah. very popular. I feel, I feel like, like Rogan just brings on so many like different people. Like you never know what to expect. Like I know Goggins was just on like Rogan's and then like Musk will be on it sometimes. Another one that I kind of like, like JJ Reddick's one called All the Smoke. It's kind of new and upcoming. It's with Matt Barnes and uh, Steven Jackson, I think. Uh, Steve Kerr was just on it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite podcasts. I do want to throw it back to Marquavius here. Uh, as I said, we would, when we were kind of introducing everybody, Marquavius, uh, I'm just going to let you do most of the talking here, but you wrote and uh, spoke uh, like a great poem about social justice and kind of through, I don't know if it was through, you know, your eyes, what you were seeing, or if you were trying to kind of encapsulate some experiences from people that you know, but uh, why don't you just talk about that a little bit? Cause I thought I just really want to get that on. Here. Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for bringing it up. I actually wrote, the poem that I sent you guys uh, my junior year in high school. Um, And 
it's crazy because the themes and the recurring um, ideas and sentiments of that poem are still very prevalent today. And um, the reason I decided to write that, um, let me just paint the picture for you. Um, this was the summer going into, I should say, my, my senior year. I still consider myself a junior at that point. Um, and that summer, I specifically remember there was another black man, another black man, another black man, like day after day. And it was like this one week where it was like a new person every day. And I, I couldn't sleep. Um, I genuinely couldn't sleep. And um, I grabbed my phone and I just got an idea. I just got out my notes and I started writing. And I didn't understand that what I was writing was a poem in that moment. I just felt like I had a lot of emotions and a lot of ideas that I wanted to get out. And I couldn't find a possible way to get it out other than um, imploding. And so I just kept writing and I kept writing. And then I think I ended up falling asleep and I was like, I'll just, I'll just look at it in the morning. And I'm, I'm a writer, I'm a creator. I'm, I'm a creative and I'm a big critique of my own work. So in the morning I, I, I look through it and that's one of the things I always hate doing. It's like working on something, stopping it and then coming back to it because I feel like I have a fresh set of eyes. So like now I'm more critical. Um, but I realized there wasn't a lot to take out that I would have in my other poems. And I think that because that was because it um, streamed from a certain truth that couldn't be duplicated or, or faked and it was so um, raw that everything needed to stay. Um, yeah, so that's like a little bit behind the poem. It talks about a little, it's called Go to Speed Limit. And it talks about a little um, incident that a lot of people presumably have had. Like a lot of people have presumably been pulled over by the police. Um, but I think that interaction in and of itself holds weight differently for a different set of people. And my whole point in making that poem was to exemplify how for Black people, and for, for, for me specifically, I'll talk for, for my personal experience, um, this was very much my reality. And I know that from my friends' experience and, and the experiences that I see on the news and, and throughout life, this is the experience for a lot of people. And it's frustrating. It was frustrating at that point. And it is still frustrating today that a lot of my white counterparts, a lot of my white friends don't see that and don't understand the gravity behind certain situations that, you know, um, I have to go through or people that look like me have to go through. So that poem was kind of a medium. It was, it was, a, it was trying to bridge that gap while also highlighting what consists of that gap, if that makes sense. Like you, we can't ignore the gap, but we can still bridge the gap, right? Like we can still work towards the solution, but in working towards that solution, you must acknowledge why we have to create a solution in the first place. So a lot of people, for some reason, I mean, and I'm not going to say for some reason and kind of and, and negate the power that's in word, right? But a lot of people seem to gravitate towards that poem um, and they have for like, for years. It's crazy because the National Civil Rights Museum is in Memphis and this same summer, like, this was just a poem I had wrote at 3 a.m. in the morning. Right. And like, I had a seven on seven tournament, like I think the next weekend or something. And I was driving to the tournament and I, on the radio, it was like the National Civil Rights Poetry Slam competition, submit your poems like about like injustice or da da da, like whatever. And um, my, my, my boy who was sitting next to me and who was also my teammate was like, bro, you should definitely like, send in your poem and I was like you know why not like, like it won't hurt right a lot of people I'm thinking a lot of people are going to like send in I'm probably not going to get picked but like who cares turns out I got into the competition and then I think in that competition I got first runner up and I ended up getting like 750 dollars for it 
And so I feel like in that moment, and I say that because in that moment, I think, and this is to all of my like creators, creatives out there, this, this period has been traumatic in a lot of ways. And I think art is born through that, that trauma. And I think when you find a very effective and creative way to get that out um, and let your, your truth be, be heard and be, and be loud, there's many blessings, there's many abundance um, in that. And I think, you know, we, we can't ever lose doing that. So Josh and Ben, has Quay shared some of his other poems with you guys, written other stuff that you know that he was this creative before, you know, hearing all this stuff? I oh, <laughs> I had the pleasure of, of listening or hearing or actually reading one of Quay's poems uh, last year, I think at one of our uh, one of our preseason events. Um, and that was actually a really funny poem. But that was the first time that I knew that I oh, got to know God. that he. Yeah, you know what poem I'm talking <laughs> I about. I don't know if we can share about that one, but yeah, you know, know exactly what poem I'm talking about. I don't know yeah, if you do. want to share that one, but I do. Uh, that was the first time that I knew he got into poetry, and, uh, or he was into poetry, and so that was really interesting. But Quay and I have had conversations before about like theater and other things. So I knew he was creative, you know, a creative mind, um, but that poem was funny. Yeah, I, I guess from my perspective, I've never read one of his poems, but Quay's just a passionate dude, man. Like he, he leads the Bible study for us, um, and so like whatever Quay sets his mind to, I mean, he's going to go full, full full throttle at it so um you know quay inspires me man like quay's an awesome dude so he's passionate what doesn't matter if it's football athletics poetry bible study anything what quay sets his mind to will be successful and it'll bring passion to it and energy so ben i got to talk to you about a couple things really quick um you are a semi-finalist for the campbell award named after former columbia lion bill campbell gives to the it's like the heisman for academics for goes to football players so talk about what that meant uh, what an honor it is for you. Yeah, I feel like first and foremost, I mean, we walk into the Baker complex and we see his kind of mural. Um, the first thing you walk in before we go to the weight room or upstairs, what he's done for Columbia and our facilities and whatnot is amazing. So just being being honored to even be a semi-finalist semi was pretty incredible. Um, I was honored and blessed to even, you know, be considered among the other 198 um, student athletes that were um, – my finals for the award so um, I was pretty stoked when it came out um, and I know how much of an impact that he's had because um, he was a coach at Columbia also too um, and a player in 67 that's where we were attached so um, yeah it's definitely an extreme honor to be uh, recognized in his name so and I know we brought this up before but I I want to talk about it a little bit more in depth the not to not to you know beat it to death here, but the interception last year against Harvard, I just want, like, from a diff from, from your perspective, do you feel like you're forever going to be tied to that moment? Like, it's just going to be, like, something that, like, people talk to you about when you're, like, in your 30s and your 40s and your 50s, and it's just going to, you know, throughout your entire I mean, life. I mean, that's a, that's a product of it. Like, I'm never going to be defined by one play, um, personally. Um, but that comes along with making a big play like that. Um, so do people bring it up a lot? Do I happen to be on my phone on Twitter or something and see it uh, way more often than I should? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, it was a cool play. Um, definitely my coolest moment in my football career um, and a big one for us and hope, hoping whenever we play next, we can get more big ones like that. So yeah. I was going to say, not even the, not even if you take the moment that it happened aside, like just the athleticism to make the interception and drag your foot in bounds and come down with the ball. I mean, that was. Yeah. So the, out there. Yeah. So the funny thing is like, before I went out, I think I looked at McKeegan and I was actually like, like I, I knew some tendencies that they'd get in. And in my mind, I think offensive coordinators and times like over time go back to their the things that they really like go to the most. Um, and so I was like, if they get in this like tight bunch formation, I'm going to expect a flag route. Um, and so I'm not saying I called it, but I predicted it a little bit. Um, but once I caught it, like everything was blank. 
Josh and Quint, talk about your perspectives when you saw that play. Like, what, do you, what are your memories of it? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Because I just wanted to add, <laughs> I just wanted to add, first of all, you know, Ben is very humble. He's not going to give you the real deal. He's not going to let it all out. You know, I think his football IQ, his athleticism, like, you have to see him work out. Like, it's not you were kind of getting to it like the moment was huge the moment is big but like the catch like it was muscle memory like Ben does this you should see him like work out you should see him push himself so but you know I, I definitely can see Ben making that and I can see him making more plays like that so you know I don't I don't think this defines his career by any means but I think it definitely is a testament to his work ethic by far and from um from the sidelines, I couldn't really see what was going on because uh, they were like on the other side of the field. Um, like, and at one point it was like a deadness because we didn't really know what happened until we knew what happened. Because, well, at least the people on the offensive side who, because, you know, the defensive players got to have their, their room, their space um, and, even though everyone was kind of trying to crowd around, we really didn't have the best view. So for a moment, it was a point where we didn't really know what happened until we knew what happened. And everyone just took off. Like it wasn't a, let's go Ben, just do. No, <laughs> I didn't think, no one thought, no one said vocalize, well, they vocalized, they made sounds, but they didn't say a word, like a coherent word. We just knew to run <laughs> and we just, like we just ran and it was, it was it was at that moment it was just about a celebration it was just about being behind our teammates and that's what we did it was it was definitely a big moment for sure yeah uh alluding to what Koi just said um we had seen Ben make plays like that in practice and so it wasn't necessarily anything like completely new um and you know when I think we did realize who had made the play. It was kind of just like, okay, who else would have made that play? But um, I, my perspective was hilarious because I was, I was injured. So I was with the injured guys and we're like way off to the right on the sidelines uh, in our little box. And so it's like me with my shoulders and some other guys who are on crutches and like, you know, a whole host of injuries. And so the play happens. And like Quay said, everybody takes off, like everybody's <laughs> running and like without thinking, I took off and like, I didn't, I didn't think about it. Cause like, I'm not supposed to be running, you know, like my shoulders are liable to fall out at any moment. Um, I'm pretty sure like other guys were like hobbling too. Like, like Quay said, I mean, it, it was just, you didn't think you just ran and you just try to get as close as possible to the action. And I mean, all like, I swear to you, everybody, but guys on crutches and even the guys on crutches were trying to move, but everybody took off. And it was, that was an incredible moment for our team and for Ben, for sure. Um, and yeah, I'll probably never forget that play because it was just something really cool to be a part of. Well, I know we said we were only going to keep you guys for a half an hour, so I'm glad we kept this to about an hour then. <laughs> but it was good. It was really good. It was really good conversation. And then, uh, like I said, I really appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, looking forward to seeing the final edit of this podcast. And I know Mike's going to do a great job with it like he always does, so... Uh, I think with that being said, I have one more quick thing that I want to touch on. What was the locker room like after? Lit. <laughs> hey. Uh, right. Right. What we do? Yeah. We had like the uh, the swag surf. Uh, yeah. I love there were that. There were some. There were some. There were some things said about Harvard, of course. <laughs> there were some beatings on the lockers. There were some. <laughs> <laughs> Some running, jumping. Somebody <laughs> probably got elbowed. I don't know. Did uh, um, did we get a did we get a Al Bagnoli hobbling dance at all? No, no, no. We've, never, we've never got one of those. <laughs> I think we're past those years. Yeah. <laughs> plus, plus, with his knee, I mean, yeah, I don't think I thought, really well, you know, was going to. Anything was going to make that knee better that day. Yeah. <laughs> the win. That, that, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I'm good with a smirk and a come on. (laughs) (laughs) But I was actually on the field so long, I missed a lot of the locker room stuff. But anyways. 
All right. I want to thank you guys again for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun. The official kickoff of football takeover week. So for Mark Wavius Moore, Joshua Smythe McCauley, and Ben Mathismeyer, I'm Mike Kowalski, and we're joined by Kyle Matrician and Megan Rojas. We are yeah, the Don't forget about us. No, don't, never forget about you. All right. Uh, <laughs> He's got a new host now. No. Well, maybe. Maybe we'll add Josh in next year. You're going to have two podcasts on your plate. But as always, make sure to stay tuned, search for us, and subscribe to Columbia Athletics. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, we're there. Also visit www.cocolumbialions.com slash podcast. So we'll talk to you again next week with a new episode. 